1: Welcome into episode number 196 of Greatest Pod in the South. I'm Neil McCready, J.G. Tate with me as well. Always, 196 episodes, the march to 200. We might get to 200 by the end of the year. It's just like the, the train that could. It just depends on schedules and stuff that happens and holidays and stuff. But we're glad to be with you here today. Glad that you make us a part of your week. We really appreciate it. Uh, Jay, how are you?
2: I am great. I'm live here in Montgomery, Alabama, and I'm joined today, although he's not on the mic, by my dad, Dr. Yeah. Tate, who came down from Maine to uh, hang out with me and uh, my mom, who's been not feeling great here the last couple weeks. So, uh, yeah, we're fired up to have him. Of course, he met Neil earlier.
1: Yeah, got a chance to meet Dr. Tate. Can we get I know a lot of people want to know, um, especially the people at, at rebelgrove.com, who maybe you've probably updated the people at your site. But uh, how, how's your mom doing?
2: Uh, she's doing better. She's out of the hospital now. Well, she's out of the traditional hospital. Now she's at a rehabilitation center, which is kind of a hospital too. And, uh, we're just kind of working on getting her stronger and, uh, getting her spirit a little stronger, I guess would be the word. She's got to, she's got to fight through some, uh, cobwebs, uh, metaphorical cobwebs. And, uh, it takes some tenacity to get that done. And, uh, so we're, we're just kind of working with her day by day.
1: Good. I'm glad she's and, doing better. Uh, getting her in a better spot. Yeah,
2: she's definitely yeah. doing better. So I know I've been asking for a lot of prayers, particularly from the folks at auburnsports.com, but I know I have a lot of friends at Rebel Grove who have been concerned as well. So uh, thank all y'all uh, for that, for sure.
1: So yeah, I've had multiple people uh, ask me how, how you're That's seemed, great. So that's good. Glad, glad.
2: I, I've had to take a little bit of a sabbatical from Rebel Grove because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big community. And, you know, I've got friends over there. You think about Avery, you think about Leif, think about Georgia Rebel, you think about Sammy. Yeah. Uh, There's several others. Um, And then you've got some people over there that maybe aren't big fans of mine, Neil, uh, who think that I'm just a bleach-haired turd, Auburn Homer, who thinks that Cam Newton never got paid and never saw anything wrong with Cam Newton. So this time of year when things get a little testy, right, with the coaching search and whatnot, Maybe there's some people that say some mean things about me at Rebel
1: Grove. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, in addition to the people at uh, AuburnSports.com who say things about me, uh, a lot of people at RebelGrove.com say it about me too. So I, it's all it's all okay. <laughs> I got uh, I got I got let's see, kind of kind of corrected one morning oh. this week because I, I my sourcing was not Ole Miss enough, and I was very honest about this. Um, I've done this beat now for. 15 years, which is just unbelievable. Um, Because I I think if you had told me in March of 2008 that I would be on this beat for 15 years, I would have not taken the job. Um, I should be honest. I would have said, oh, nope, nope, nope. I I got trapped. Nope, nope, nope. Um, But I I, I, I have been. And my experience, and this is going to come across to some people at Ole Miss, they won't like this. And some of the younger people there will get it. And, um, but my experience at Ole Miss is from a sourcing standpoint. A lot of times Ole Miss sources were the worst. And, uh, in terms of reliability, accuracy. And, um, so I've got to where when I covered big stories like coaching searches and stuff of that nature, I became really reliant on outside Ole Miss sourcing. And it, for a little while, it was kind of a game. Hey, can I, I mean, I don't want to sound, this is going to sound really arrogant, but it's true. Um, One time on a coaching search, coaching search that shall remain nameless. um, I decided that I was going to do it without talking to anyone at Ole Miss at any point. Wow. And see if I could break the story. And I did. And, um, it was like, I was super pumped about it because it was just fun for me. No one, no one else knew or cared that I was doing that. But, uh. I've just learned to um, to go outside as much as possible and um, and vary sourcing because I think that if you if you keep all of your sourcing in one place, you run the risk of being really really wrong. And um, so, yeah, that's what I've done. And anyway, he kind of corrected me. Well, if you were more sourced than Ole Miss, you would know this. He was specifically upset about me using the word "threat" as it pertained to Auburn, saying that Auburn is a threat to. Um, to Ole Miss, as it pertained to retaining Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and he was pushing back on that. And anyway, I kind of snapped at him, and then I, I can't. I apologized. I apologize apologized publicly, but um, it was one of those things.
2: I get some of those too, and I don't like it. Um, the people that try to tell us how to do our jobs. Uh, I don't yeah. understand how somebody could have the nuts to tell you you're not Old Miss sourced enough. I, I don't. How, there's nobody that could know that. That's just completely a made up concept um and frankly very annoying
1: but yeah well there's an element of our jobs that um I don't think I just don't think people understand and I don't think they like it and I don't think they relate to it I probably talk about it a lot more than you do um because I it's just something I talk about but um, cuz I, th- I find it like super interesting actually um and that is the whole fandom part of the job oh, God. Um, it it is something that that I think the people who, because let's face it, the people who subscribe to sites like ours are are pretty big fans. They're not they're not casual fans. If 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 casual fans subscribed to our sites, we would be rich. We <laughs> would be making we would be making seven figures rich, um, no question. And and um, that's not the case. Those those people, the people that just go to the ball games on Saturday, or the people who just watch the games on Saturday, a lot of those people don't subscribe to websites. They don't really care, and, and that much. And so the people that are on the websites they care a lot, and they, I, and I think subconsciously for some people they really want you to be a fan. They want you to care the way they care, and 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 I think that applies to opposing fan sites. Like I think I think a lot of people on your site really want to believe that I'm emotionally engaged in in the story. And, you know, and I, and I guess to some degree I get that, but to most degrees I don't because you and I've talked about this before and I'll be super quick with it. Like I'll put it in context of something that I do care about. Okay. I care about the Cubs. I like the Cubs. I really like the Cubs. I like the Cubs more than I want to like the Cubs because I really didn't like some of the things that the Cubs did the last couple of years in terms of off the field and, I'd like to dislike them, and I don't. I still really, really like them, and I catch myself watching them and cheering for them. And free agency has started, and like I really want the Cubs to add one of these shortstops, okay? But what I want from the Cubs writers that I follow, Patrick Mooney, Sahadev Sharma, Brett Taylor, I want those guys to tell me the truth. I mean, if, if the Cubs are not going to get Carlos Correa and they're not going to get Trey Turner, i um, not going to get Xander Bogarts. Tell me that I'm I'll be disappointed, but I'll be cool with it. The one thing I'll hate is if you tell me, hey, man, hey, <laughs> guys, I really believe Carlos Correa is going to sign with the Cubs. It's going to be an eight year deal and they're going to get him and he's going to be the face of the franchise. And then Carlos Correa signs with the Dodgers and, you know, Trey Turner signs with Philadelphia and Bogart signs with, I don't know, whoever. And, and Dansby Swanson suddenly is the Cubs choice and i'm like okay well i wasn't all that fired up about him and now he resigns with atlanta now i'm I'm left going so the cubs were cheap the whole year and I'm, i'm i don't i just i don't like that i'd rather be told i'd rather be told the truth and and then deal with it as a fan i'd rather but that's that's my my way of fandom as opposed to um others others i think want I think others want to be sold hope hope is a big part of fandom and and um i guess i'm not really that guy and so it comes across in my work too
2: interesting you know this very rarely comes up at our site it's just not something that i want to get into i guess with our subscribers they know that i didn't go to auburn uh they know that i went to kentucky and transylvania university have degrees from both and uh you know they know i'm not a uk fan i'm not a uk fan it's been so long since i've been there that I just don't really care anymore. And I only went to UK because it was so close to where I was already at. You know, sure. I was living in Lexington and hell, I mean, you might as well um, to get a graduate degree, but I don't know. It just never comes up. It's not something that I really want to get into. I mean, there's a couple of guys on our beat on the Auburn beat. I should say that you have kind of, you haven't said their names, but you've taken some swipes at them and yeah, they are semi unprofessional, but you know, I don't really care that much. I, I don't want to get into it. I, I, I just think it's, a, it's, a, it's not for me. It's not a fight worth fighting.
1: But you, one of those, one of those people, and I, I don't want to say names. But when it's over, I might say names, depending on how, and even if it, no matter how it goes, I might, I might say it because I think, I think some of those people create, because it happens on my beat too, some of those people create narratives that are false, and, and because of their following, their, their because of the fervency of their following, it creates, um, a storyline that that's inaccurate, and it makes. People like me and and you have to, because I've seen you have to answer it. Hey, so-and-so said this, Jay.
3: Yeah.
1: And if you say, hey, look, you know, the comment that I'd like to come back with is, look, you're here. You either believe my reporting or you don't. And if you don't, I kind of question why you're here. And if you do why, do, why should I feel compelled to respond to a competitor's reporting? You either trust their reporting or you don't. And I get why they come to you because they want you to verify it or to shoot it down and I don't know I mean I, i've I've engaged in that before it's unhealthy
2: well um, it's a little different for me yeah. because the guy that, that causes the trouble the one that they always want me to verify is a guy that used to work for me so I know him right. and I've known him for a long time and, and I've talked to him somewhat recently like in the last couple of weeks and you know on one hand I mean i I, I don't know I see him as a flawed reporter uh, but I've tried to help in the past and I don't I just don't think he Respects me enough to listen to what I have to say, and maybe when I get older, maybe when I'm 60, he'll
1: listen to me, or maybe
2: he'll never listen well, to me. I
1: don't. He's a very emotional reporter. He's
2: an emotional reporter. He's
1: an emotional reporter, and we have some of that on on our beat. Uh, certainly used to, and it's you know the, that that can't, those can't do people that. don't they don't bat with a real high average.
2: You can't do that. I mean, I'm approaching this job from a facts perspective, and the fact that I do not want to be wrong. But that's because I grew up in a newspaper world, and you did too. And so we look at things kind of, it's almost like these days, it's like an old school way of approaching journalism where, I mean, I could not face my editor if I was wrong. I would screw up someone's high school. I would say that Fred Weary went to Lee when he went to JD, and I felt like that would be a week. It would take me a week to get over that.
1: Well, you know, I've told you this before, um, and and it it relates to Auburn because I was just starting out at the Birmingham Post-Herald not knowing what the hell I was doing and uh, I get on a beat and it's the Auburn beat. I know no one at Auburn and I'm starting out and it's the, my first day on the beat was like Auburn's first day in shoulder pads or something. They were already in camp. And my sports editor tells me at the time, I, I you're not really who I want to hire. Um, we're doing it. Um, You need to do a really good job or else I'm going to find somebody else. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh God. And then the very first big story, and you remember, because you and me got smoked on it together, was Terry Bowden quit or got fired or whatever term, I don't know, whatever beats me to this day, 20 something years later. I'm not sure precisely what happened that day, but Terry Bowden's gone on a Friday and you and me are driving around somewhere, Columbus, Georgia or something.
2: No, I was covering Alabama State at that point.
1: Oh, that's right, it wasn't you.
2: I didn't. That, I took a lot of losses. I took a lot of losses that year, but not that one.
1: You came over later, yeah, because it was your it was your teammate at the time. It was Kelvin, uh, yeah, yeah. Got we got smoked, and I'm in uh, Jordan Hare Stadium the next day, covering Louisiana Tech and Auburn, and and discovering that oh shit, the people that are winning on this beat are hanging out with Terry Bowden right now. Yes. And I got, sm- I mean, I got yelled at. Like, okay, either get the coaching search right, or else. I mean, I, and and so that that next month and a half or whatever it was in the interim between Terry Bowden resigning and Tommy Tuberville being announced as Auburn's next head coach, those six weeks shaped the way I view my career more than any six weeks before or since. Panic get it right like whatever however hard you have to work whatever you got to do get it right and you know i mean i was on i was on an island on tommy Tupperville, if you remember correctly for a couple of weeks there and um uh, other guys were writing about uh george o'leary and um who was the other cat everybody the was Bobby writing- wallace Uh,
2: Bobby Wallace would have been at
1: Temple. He'd been at Temple, yeah. O'Leary was the one that scared the hell out of me. I was like, oh, shit, because, like, Philip and all those guys wrote about O'Leary on that Tuesday or Wednesday, and I was like, oh, God, I'm in trouble. I remember Auburn was playing a basketball game. I want to say it was against BYU back in old Beard Eves. Mm -hmm. I didn't even go down to my seat. I was up on the phone in that media classroom thing back in the day. You remember that room?
2: Absolutely. We did some tackling drills in there.
1: Yeah, it was like on the third floor up there and there were these big classrooms and I was just I was in sheer panic. I mean, I was I was convinced I was gonna get fired as soon as Auburn hired uh, George O'Leary.
2: You know, my number one memory of that particular workroom was that one time you were talking to Kent Lowe, uh who was the S I D at L S U. Yeah. He he did he worked for that miserable coach. His name was John John Brady. John Brady and we always joke about how miserable that guy was because as a human being, he was just absolutely the worst, right? He, he must've hated his life so bad. And you said, Hey Ken, what did Brady give you for Christmas? A viper? And, he, <laughs> yeah. and you didn't mean the car. You meant the snake. Yeah. That's the kind of gift he would have given you just to get bit in the face. So it would hurt. <laughs> what a dick. Anyway, that was funny. We also did tackling drills up there. You set up the trash can and then I would tackle the trash can and, uh, yeah. yeah the, the opposing That's, reporters didn't really understand that they hated us i don't care that old uh dude at, and uh baton Rouge sure hated us too he said these damn auburn writers i can't hear myself think around
1: yeah, them. yeah. but We're i think crazy. that shaped that that one story um auburn's hiring of tommy tuberville me knowing i had to get it right and that i really needed to get it first um i i just think it shaped my entire career it shaped my mindset if you will i I didn't know what the hell I was doing, I just panicked. I just worked. I mean, I don't think I slept for a month yeah, i, just, I wasn't
2: I wasn't that worried about it because I knew I, I I couldn't win that one
1: so well, I you had coming. a disadvantage in Montgomery too, because they would not let you use unnamed sources
2: well, yeah, I had that problem, and I also had the first time I set foot on campus was the first time I'd set foot on campus, I mean, like yeah, yeah, I was covering out by my state, so. They were just so mad at the beat rider before me, Kelvin, that he had missed it, that he was like, just get that turd away from me and put whoever you want on the Auburn beat. And they were like, well, I got this dipshit that covers Alabama State. Oh, yeah, fuck it. Give him a shot. So yeah. here I am 20-something years later. Hilarious.
1: It's hilarious, man. I mean, that that was... But
2: that search did not shape me. It just scared me, if anything. It was more like yeah. the years with Tommy um, that really galvanized my love for the, for the business because Tommy was a good guy to work with. Yeah. Uh, he kept us on our toes. Because he would tell me one thing and tell you another and tell Philip another and tell Charles another, uh, if you remember. Yeah. We all came out with a group of uh, candidates for some of his openings. and fuck, the four of us would have 11
1: different names. Like I can remember sometimes <laughs> I had an editor ask me, well, who's your source on this? And I said, Tuberville. And they said, well, why are you not running? And I said, because he's not a good source.
2: <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right.
1: I said, I need to get it from somebody other than him. And they're like, well, he's the coach. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just telling you. I don't know, man.
2: (laughs) We go back and forth with Tommy through the years. Listen, uh, one of the big reasons why people are listening to our show right now is because Auburn and Ole Miss are at an intersection right now. Uh, Lane Kiffin is the coach at Ole Miss, obviously doing a hell of a job. Uh, Has the Rebels in contention for the West uh, over and over again. Auburn, of course, not quite in contention for the West and haven't been for a little while. Auburn's searching for a coach, and uh, according to me (laughs) and others, uh, Auburn is very uh, interested in Lane Kiffin. And so you and I, even though we're friends and have uh, have a lot of respect for each other and and have worked together for a number of years, kind of find ourselves on different ends of this candle, right, where uh, the Auburn people, for the most part, are either really cool or somewhat cool with Lane Kiffin being the next head coach at Auburn. People at Ole Miss, in general, are not cool with him leaving. And so we kind of get stuck, right, Neil, on, on different sides of the story. And it's kind of difficult sometimes.
1: Um, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, I've worked this thing for a while now. And, you know, I've been writing about Auburn as a threat for Lane Giffen since I think some point in September. Because I can remember kind of getting yelled at about it. Why are you writing about Auburn? And I'm like, well, trust me, it's coming. And, uh, you know, frankly, it took a little longer than I thought it would for it to become like uh a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Just like boiling on the, on the, on the stove for a while, it just sort of simmered. And I was like, Oh, maybe there's, maybe they're never going to turn the heat up on this thing. And then they did, um, actually a couple, three weeks later than I thought they would. But, um, no, and I I continue to say this, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. And I I think it's, I think it's emotion and I think it's, it's just, um, it's passion. People want so badly for you to say an absolute and i i to this point i don't feel comfortable saying an absolute um I, I i do i do believe it's moving in a certain direction um and have for a few days based on and that's not based on anything other than talking to people who are uh familiar with with uh, lanes thinking and um i got to be careful with that because if i go much further than that i start getting into Exposing sources, and I don't want to do that. But I've I've absolutely talked to people who have talked to Lane, and there is a um, there is a consistency in what they say. Um, but there's no doubt that two things about Lane Kiffin: one is that he's not a conventional thinker. This is not this is not a guy who is going to um, sit down at the end of day and the proverbial day, and go. Okay, well, I have offer A, and I have offer B. Which of those is the best offer? It's not that guy. Um, he's he's very uh, transparent to people close to him about what he wants to do, and the one thing that he really wants to do professionally is get back to the NFL, and there are two or three jobs that he specifically is interested in, in the NFL. And then um, there are three jobs, two that I feel comfortable saying out loud, one that I'm not positive on. There are two jobs in the college ranks that he believes are the best jobs in college football. And that's Alabama and Texas. And um, he knows that if he takes the Auburn job, that he will never be the coach at Alabama. Um, now, would that disqualify him from taking the Auburn job? No, absolutely not, It's worth, but it's worth noting. Um, he also knows that Auburn traditionally offers a better path to championships than Ole Miss, and that's worth noting. Um, I think there is a belief on his part that um, Auburn probably is in better NIL shape than Ole Miss is uh, at this moment. Though I think there's a question from a lot of coaches about two things as it pertains to NIL, maybe three things as it pertains to NIL. One, is it going to get capped to a degree? Lane Kiffin, for the record, is for a cap. Um, he, is, he is a proponent of a, of a um, what he calls a salary cap. He talks about college football in NFL terms quite often. Lane likes the NFL model that controls uh, contracts, that controls periods of time that you can sign free agents, periods of time when you can recruit free agents. He likes those to be uh, set windows. He does not think that the current uh, model of NIL is sustainable long-term. Um, so, you know, I think he looks at NIL and says, okay, well, yeah, school X has more NIL, but that might change soon where you're capped at how much money you have to give to players in NIL. And you can choose to give all of your pot to player Joe Schmo, and then everybody else plays for free, or you can split it up however you do it or whatever. He he does think that's coming. And by the way, that's a it's a pretty heated conversation among coaches, not about what should happen, but about what will happen.
2: Well, I know you're against that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm just in general against caps, but I see I mean I see why you do it. Um, you know, if the if the true objective is to promote parity and to make it fair, then you you're going to have to cap it. Um, who
2: cares just, about fair, man?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I'm, I'm not it's not something I obsess over. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um you know, he, he that's that's worth noting. And then um you know, He's he's also not a guy like people keep doing this thing about, well, you know, one school's gonna offer ten years and X million, and another's gonna offer can't offer that many years. I don't I'd put a lot of money on this. Lane Kiffin's not gonna be the coach at Auburn or Ole Miss in six years. I'll put a lot of money on that. I, I just don't see it. Damn. I don't think that happens. I think if uh if if Lane Kiffin wins wherever he is and the NFL comes calling, that is a call that he is going to accept. He wants to coach at the top of his profession. It's not about money. I've seen people come back with well, you know, there're only a handful of NFL teams that offer I don't care. That that uh, he's that's not he's not going to say, "Well, you know what? X X University is going to pay me 10.1 million and the uh, Los Angeles Rams are only going to pay me 9.6 million, so I'm going to have to stay at X." No, 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 no. Going to go going to go coach at the highest level. And I, I think he he's not a guy that wants to be on the recruiting trail forever for ten years. I don't think that's who he is. That's pretty obvious. Um, he wants total autonomy inside of his program. Uh, that's a big thing, a really big thing. It's bigger than most things. Um,
2: yeah, and I don't know about uh, Auburn can tell him that they're going to leave him alone, but if he makes a call to anybody alive who covered who, who coached Auburn, they're going to tell him. The autonomy is a, is an illusion. Now, maybe Auburn's changing their ways. Auburn has gone a very different direction with a new AD, so I could get behind that thinking if someone were to portray that. But I don't know, man.
1: But it would be precedent.
2: It, it would be precedent setting.
1: There's just a lot to it. And so when certain reporters, including the one that we just mentioned, refer to this as nothing more than, well, who can win the most and who can pay the most? Yeah. Okay, great, but you're not. Now you're, but now you're not reporting anymore, you're guessing. And everything I just said to you, Jay, is reporting. Um, those are people that, that have talked to him, that know him. And, uh, you know, uh, he knows that Auburn's out there. He knows it's coming. I, I think there's a sense that an offer is going to come. Or at least the, hey, if you want an offer, we'll put an offer on the table. Because I think, I think all schools like to dance that dance so that on the day that they hire their guy, they can go, this was choice one, and uh, this was our guy from the very beginning. We talked to some other people, but we never offered this to anybody else, which is a little bit like the whole, hey, um, Jenny, will you go ask um, Will you go ask Nancy if, if she'll go to the dance with me if I ask her? And that way if she says, yeah, I'll go, you go ask. And if she says, no, I'd rather go with Jay, you go, okay, well then I'm going to go ask somebody else, and that way I can
2: See that's not a loss. That, that's
1: it's a no loss. approach. It's not an L, it. right? I mean, it, technically, I mean, kind of is, but it's not because at the end of the day, you go, I never asked. I never asked Jenny to the dance.
2: But that's how I, that's how I went out with Courtney. So I tri- I tricked her into making the first decision.
1: See? There you go. So brilliant. yeah, yeah, it is brilliant. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. Um, you oh. know, and then this is a guy who is is pretty pragmatic in the way that he. Evaluates programs and such, and so I don't think this is going to be an emotional decision, which I think works against Ole Miss. Um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's a strictly who puts the most dollars on the table because Lane's Lane's made money throughout his career. He knows he's going to make more money, um, and I don't think he looks at either one of these places as I'm going to be there for ten years. I, I, I think. I think that's that that that's readily apparent when you talk to people who know him.
2: Yeah. It's a tough situation over here for me to kind of decipher because I do feel like if you're asking me as the you know as JG, I think that they really Lane Kiffin is their number one choice and I agree with everything you said so far about the offer. I think an offer's coming. I think they've already felt around with Jimmy Sexton to know what an appropriate offer would be so that when they make it it's something that he would feel good about. My issue is that, first of all, we got a lot of smoke screens coming up over here, and we learned a lot in 1998 about smoke smokescreens. Um, most of the time, they're there to just slow things down. I mean, the heat was getting kind of hot on Kiffin a couple, three days ago. Was it? Well, I mean, no, not. Th- th- this hype was kind of starting to come along, and eventually he was going to get asked about it, and he doesn't want to mess with that right now. Um, I, in fact, he would probably prefer to never mess with that, that part of it.
1: I wasn't on the teleconference today. Was he asked about it today? I don't know. I wasn't on the
2: teleconference. I'm yeah. not really a teleconference listener.
1: I'm not either. I did it last week because I knew he'd get asked, and he answered it the way that I thought he would answer it. I
2: don't know. I think, the, I think of Eagle Fly Goods as being the people that get on teleconferences. I don't know. Those questions are usually like, boxers are briefs, coach. I mean, it's just really stupid, I think, most of the time.
1: Yeah, well, and, you know, and he's not, he's not going to address it. <laughs> I, I can tell you here – um from being around him at, at media ops and such, there is, there has been no heat on him. I'm the only person on the beat who's asked him about the Auburn job.
2: Oh, when I say heat, I don't necessarily mean y'all asking him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, problem. I mean,
2: Sex and blowing his phone up or
1: whatever. At the risk of, uh, at, at the risk of, of uh, revealing something here that I've not really reported. I, I don't, I don't think it has come up in conversations with Ole Miss. I, I, I honestly believe that Ole Miss's approach on this is that at some point, if 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 uh, he gets an offer, he'll come to them and and tell them, "Hey, I have an offer," and they'll have an opportunity to counter. There was there was a lot of heated speculation on this end that oh, Ole Miss was going to try to to proactively uh, combat this. I don't think that's the case.
2: Auburn is talking to some other folks, um, and and whether I believe they, I probably do believe. These are secondary choices, but I think it's wise to have uh, to spend some time thoughtfully uh, putting your second choices and third choices together. Because, as you mentioned, Lane Kiffin, to me, the way that I categorize him as a nonlinear person when it comes to his career, I don't I, like you mentioned, it's it's if it's 10.1 million at one place and 9.8 million another. He doesn't go to the 10.1 because he'd, he'd hate to leave three hundred thousand dollars on the table. Yeah, He's no. thinking about other stuff. He's got different kinds of goals than your average coach uh, Neil. I do think there are a lot of coaches that go for the big payday,
1: but. Oh, uh, Jay, I think most do. And I think that, and, and I think that factors into, uh, I think that factors into the way that a lot of reporters
0: approach this and they make assumptions and, um, uh- we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate
1: assumptions can get you in trouble reporting it's yeah. there, there's a lot of that i mean i've run into it a lot and you have too um well you know so and so is going to pay more okay but that's not i mean the whole idea that well, he's going to sign a 10-year contract and he very well might sign a 10-year contract but in his mind the 10-year contract's silly because that contract's going to either be bought out or it's going to be rewritten because he's going to win so much that he's going to want a new ten year yeah. contract right so you know and then I and I've said this consistently it's one thing to talk about a school making a 10 year 115 million dollar offer or whatever the case may be it's another thing to actually do it it's another thing to to put that deal in writing with attorneys and everybody else where Hey, this thing's a binding contract, and and you're you're if if things don't work out, Jimbo, you're uh you're stuck with
2: yeah, it. Yeah, And for Auburn, I mean Auburn just beat Jimbo last weekend with Carnell Williams, a coach making three hundred fifty thousand dollars, beat Jimbo who's making what nine million a year, I, I, ten million something yeah. like that. Yeah. And and we all got a chuckle out of it because everybody over here hates Jimbo. Shit, everybody everywhere hates Jimbo. Even a And people hate him. And I think their fully guaranteed contract is screwing them right now. Texas A&M. If no they question. fire him, they owe him eighty-five million dollars to go home.
1: Yeah, um, it's a cautionary tale.
2: It is a cautionary tale,
1: and for Auburn, it's and it's. Hey Jay, I've pissed off Ole Miss people this these last couple of weeks when I've said when because I at one point I said, look, if Auburn offers some historic contract, he, he probably very well will take it, right? And people are like, well, then Ole Miss should just match it, and I say they really can't. And people don't, oh, yeah, they can. They can find the money. I'm like, well, it's not that. It's that when you put yourself out so in, in such a risky place as an institution, you know, what happens if, just hear me out for a minute, okay? What happens if you, oh, look, I know you're going to ask me about this, so I'll, I'll do the other side of it. Ole Miss at its very best at its very best, is barely, barely the fourth best program in the West. Program, not team. Okay? Ole Miss, at its worst, is the sixth best program in the West. It typically is the fifth best program in the West. Well, that means that if the schools above you as better programs, meaning more resources, it's just easier to win, um, it's all there, NIL, everything. If they're operating at max capacity, you're going to have a hard time beating them consistently. So hear me out. Say Ole Miss becomes, even with Lane Kiffin, this steady 8-4, and 7-5 and five team. Okay? It's good. It's fine. Is that worth $100 million? Is that worth $10.5 million a year?
2: Are you asking about this from the Auburn side or the Ole Miss side?
1: The Ole Miss side.
2: Okay, so assuming that no matter what, you'd have to enrich in him, right?
1: Right, So, I'll, and I'll take it to the Auburn side in a minute, and I'll say what I wrote this morning, and you can tell me that I'm full of shit, and that's fine. I'm cool with it. <laughs> um, but eight and four, seven and five, even here, people are going to be like, man, you're making how much to do what? Okay, so at Auburn, and I've covered Auburn, been over there, I, saw, I know how expectations are, you pay Lane Kiffin. Let's say you get Lane Kiffin a 10-year, $100 million contract.
2: I think it's going to be more like seven years, 78 or something like
1: that. And, and if it's that, I think Ole Miss will just match it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But let's say you give him that $100 million guarantee.
2: Okay.
1: And he is an 8-4 and four coach.
2: Well, you'd like to think that he'd be more than that, right?
1: What right? if he's not? That, but we're doing the insurance no. thing here, right? Because it's the gamble. What if he's not? I know, but he could be. And, and here's know. my point with Auburn. In today's environment, and I think if you, and this is my opinion, and your people are going to get pissed off, so y'all go ahead and get prepare yourself, get your torches ready. I think if you polled 100 coaches out there and said, you can have any SEC West job, pick it. I think 100 of the votes would go for either Alabama, Texas A&M, or LSU.
2: Wow. You really think so?
1: Texas A&M, huh? And so I think I think all You're big the,
2: on them having all that money. Yeah, are big on
1: that. It's huge. Because it hadn't helped them for shit. It, it hadn't helped them, but they've hired—who have they hired? They the, the one big guy that they went out and got was Jimbo.
2: Well, he looked good at the time, to be fair.
1: He did look good at the time, but before that, it was Kevin Sumlin who failed everywhere he's been. Word. Nick Saban would win. Nick Saban would have won massively big at Texas A and M, massively running that organization with those resources.
2: He's not a good example because the argument could be made he's the greatest. Kirby Smart. Yeah. Now Kirby. Now now we're talking.
1: Okay. Um, would he have
2: been great at Texas A&M? Yes. Probably so. Yes. He's really good. He's, He's a great recruiter.
1: He is. He, he runs a tight organization. Jimbo doesn't. Jimbo runs a stubborn, antiquated organization. And now wow. looking, looking back, you look back at the end of the Florida State era there, and you look at what Mike Norvell is starting to do at Florida State, and you go, hey, you know, maybe it was Jimbo
2: oh <laughs> shoot now that you're 85 million in the hole it's a tough time for texas a&m to figure that out
1: i, mean, I, I, mean, I think it's a, i think it's a safe argument to have that when you look at florida state and you look at texas a&m it's safe to go maybe it maybe it is jimbo
2: i think that your your uh, your supposition there is correct i mean i don't think that auburn uh, to an outsider to luke fickle uh he would say yeah i'd take the uh auburn job over alabama no lsu no texas a&m to me that that's a I don't know that to me, that's a toss up because you're going into a weird situation at A&M, uh, that sure, you, sure. but you could argue that it's a weird situation here, too. You've got a lot of uh, a lot of white noise you got to deal with
1: here. Yeah. yeah, I think you do. I mean, I think, you know, I think that would be part of the argument from a a, a non-emotional person evaluating it. would look at it and go, well, you don't get a lot of time there <laughs> and it gets kind of squirrely and uh, there's a lot of a lot of chaos around it. And, um, but,
2: but it's been proven that you can win a championship here, uh, both an sec and sure. a natty. You're in a great recruiting area. I think some people would argue that it's a bad recruiting area, but you're right in the middle of all the kids. you got a brand new. Sure. I would, I would argue it's a great recruiting. They just area. opened last week, a brand new football only facility, which is between 90 and hundred million dollars. I mean, this place is absolutely first sure. class. So that's going to be nice. Yep. It's kind of out of place now in the sense that we're like in an NIL era. And that's from the facilities era. But Auburn's facilities were so dog shit that, like, you had to do something.
1: Yeah, but the three programmers that we're talking about, they all have all those things, too.
2: Yeah, true. So Auburn's kind of back in there, um, but not ahead. So, yeah, I think that's fair. But you're also talking about a division of a conference where everything there is really good. I mean, all four of those teams, uh, jobs, whatever, are really good. Whereas in the entire league of the pack, whatever there are now, I mean, USC's good, Oregon's good, mm-hmm. and then pff, whatever, you know? I mean, Auburn, <laughs> Auburn might be the fourth best job in the SEC West, and it might be the sixth best job in the country or the eighth best job in the country. I don't know. There's just so much money over here. It's a lot of money. You could say that everywhere except Vanderbilt, and even Vanderbilt's getting the money. They just kind of do weird stuff with it. But you know, and, so and We've that? talked many, many times on the show, Neil, about the SEC and the Big Tw- Big Ten are going in the stratosphere. And everybody else ain't. So, pretty soon, all these jobs are going to be the ones you want, all misincluded. We're not far away.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I mean, I won't go into names, but I've worked on it. I mean, I've worked, we've, we've worked on a hot board. I mean, people think I'm sitting over here going, oh, there's no way Lane Kiffin will leave for Auburn. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, we're, I, I can promise you, I've put work and preparation, and we'll spend some more time this weekend on it. It's, it's, that's it's just um, smart.
2: That's just smart work for you.
1: I mean, that- you know, and it's just but well, what's just my approach. But as of this moment, as we tape this on Wednesday, November the sixteenth, if you made me bet, and I'd hedge my bet, but I would bet that Lane Kiffin elects to hang tight for another year or two and wait for interesting. Uh, certain specific openings that I believe that he thinks and the people around him think are going to come open. This is
2: specifically NFL.
1: And one college, okay. two two college jobs, two two and maybe three college jobs. Wow!
2: And you think you could get there from Ole Miss? Yes. Okay. Fair enough. I, you know, more about, you know more about this than I do, but to me, that I'm skeptical of that claim, particularly if they're NFL's jobs. I know you're saying college, but NFL. Old Miss to the NFL to me, it's going to take a, a niche owner who's willing to do that. Hell, at this point, I wonder if if anybody sort of saving could make that jump because Matt Rule blew up so spectacularly that I feel like college coach to NFL now is going to be a tougher jump than it's ever been.
1: Well, I can tell you that you're right on on the Matt Rule part. Oh, and, uh, and, uh, and Urban Ruhle, Meyer too. Matt Rule, well, Urban's a little different uh, because his deal was so personal. Matt Rules was was more. Uh, it, it was no one questioned his work ethic. Um, Matt rules hurt college coaches, no, no question. Because there are some college coaches, probably including the one that I cover, who uh, were interested in the Panthers' gig when it popped open, who found out that the Panthers are not going to go that route. Well, they w-
2: I wouldn't either. I've already—I feel like yeah, I've learned it, a lesson.
1: They got freshly burned, yes,
2: yes. And I think a lot of other coaches. Uh, I'm sorry, a lot of other programs, NFL programs, look at that and say, yay, I'd rather take a shot at Eric Bieniemy or you know some tenured NFL coach rather than get into the college.
1: Just remember with Kiffin that uh, you know his father was a legendary NFL yeah, right. coach. Um, Lane Lane knows a lot of NFL. He's more connected NFL than a lot of college coaches. Has coached in the NFL before. They don't hold that against him because it was the Al Davis Jamarcus Russell disaster. Um, well, I hold he, he wants he wants that opportunity. So it's
2: dude. He attempted a seventy-seven yard field goal. <laughs> he told he, anyway. He told Janikowski to attempt a seventy-seven yard field goal. <laughs>
1: That landed on the (laughs) six. And that's lame. I mean, you know, that was there was a lot of meddling uh, in in his organization when he was running the Raiders. Raiders. Al Davis was – exactly. And you saw how that blew up spectacularly. Yeah, it
2: did. Uh, One thing that never blows up spectacularly is when you're enjoying a a Cathead product because they're always delicious. And I know because I was lucky enough to journey over to Columbus, Georgia last weekend – to pick up their newest offering, their newest expression, the old soul cask strength, uncut and unfiltered bourbon. Yes, I drove over to Columbus to get it in this beautiful bottle. It's, it is it is it is It's gorgeous. It's dark blue with gold script. And what's more important than the bottle and this beautiful presentation is the delicious bourbon in it. 115 proof. There's a six-and-a-half-year bourbon, the one I have right here, distilled in Indiana but aged in Jackson the whole way. And I'm telling you guys, this is a delicious bottle. This cost me, I think, $70 over there at the bottle shop, which you guys, if you guys are ever over in Columbus, it's really, really good. They have a very wide selection. Uh, I am stoked about this pour. This is now my favorite old soul product outside of the gray label stuff. And if you have your chance to get your paws on that, I heartily endorse it. Uh, their newest product, however, at, at Cata Distillery is spreading like wildfire throughout the fire pits, shindigs, and get togethers of my locale and yours. It's the Cathead Sparkling, a sparkling vodka cocktail in a colorful aluminum vessel, 5% ABV, 100 calories and is always gluten-free, sugar-free and vegan. Cathead Sparkling comes in 8-packs with four different flavors. There's two groups of the four different flavors. Limeade, strawberry lemonade, mandarin and cranberries group one, and then their newest offerings are the mango, raspberry, cucumber and pineapple. You can find those in grocery stores, convenience stores and liquor outlets near you. Cathead of course began things making waves in the vodka space. With their ubiquitous Cathead Honeysuckle. These days, you can also find the Cathead Bitter Orange, the Pecan, or just the Blue Cat Straight Vodka. They are all delicious and they have a role in making a great cocktail. Cathead's Bourbons are excellent as well. You've known about the 90 Proof Old Soul for a long, long time. They've had that out for years now, but their single barrel Old Soul at 109 Proof is a terrific standalone pour. Uh, again, this cask strength Old Soul with the blue label. Guys, I am stoked about it. It's 115 proof, but it does not drink that hot. But I am kind of in this rhythm now where I like to drink stuff that's between 100 and 120. And uh, this hits the spot, man. This has enough burn to be satisfying, but it does not overwhelm you. And I don't have to feel like I have to put any water in this. It's delicious as it is. I heartily endorse you guys having a sip of that if you can find it. Uh, sometimes you can find that 10 type series, which is a seven-year 119 proof. That's a little bit of a rougher pour if you can find that. If you like something that's a little gives you a little more Kentucky hug, that's a good one, too. If you find that 13-year or 15-year, or just grab it. So many good bourbons now uh, from our friends at Cathead, and I really, honestly, truly like a lot of them. Uh, look, you need Cathead in your life. Seek out their Cathead Sparkling, their bourbons, their vodkas, uh, the Bristow Gin, any of their fine spirits next time you're out. If your favorite bar or restaurant doesn't carry Cathead, make a request. Ask them to carry Cathead. Life is better with Cathead in it, so do what you got to do and get that Cathead.
1: Absolutely, and uh, also uh, I'm doing a show with Tyler Siski twice a week called McCready and Siski. We have a competition with uh, gambling. The loser uh, has to go to the potato bowl, the famous potato bowl in Boise, uh, in next month and uh, has to wear a shirt complaining about the unethical treatment of potatoes and such. Um, so anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. But we arranged the trip through uh, John Edwards, Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. He made it so easy. We're all done. Everything's completely booked. Everything's done. We don't have to sweat, all that stuff. Uh, You know, you get busy and you forget, hey, did I book a room? Did I do this? Did I do that? John did all that stuff for us. Set it up where it's going to be so easy, a lot of fun. uh, And he can do that for you too. Jay Edwards at RegencyTravel.net. We're also brought to you by Pinnacle, our friends in Madison, Mississippi, Uh, Everybody's complaining about what's happening to their 401ks right now, uh, self-included, but um, you want to make sure that you have a professional that is helping guide your, uh, guide your retirement plans, making sure that uh, you're not losing more than you should be losing, minimizing the carnage, putting yourself in position to uh, recover and uh, bounce back when the economy does as well. Hopefully one day, sometime. Um, Anyway, get in touch with the people at Pinnacle. And I uh, tell them that you heard about it here on greatest pod in the South. It's my dot com. M Y P I N N wealth.com.
2: A couple little things to mention, uh, just for fun. Uh, I get to wear a heart monitor now. Uh, that's going to be fun. Uh, I had a AFib situation come up in May. I'm just now getting around to getting that remedied <laughs> because I haven't been in AFib since then, but, uh, Anyway, I got up with a uh, cardiologist, and I like this dude, uh, and he's, he's, he's my kind of guy. And anyway, I'm getting a heart monitor. So I go in there today. They do an echocardiogram, which is basically doing Doppler radar on your heart to see, like, where, I don't know, just making sure they understand exactly, you know, if I'm in good health or whatnot. And uh, I had a lot of fun in there because the uh, the tech, that, the gal, she was so good at what she did, Neil. Like she's yeah. got this pretty sophisticated piece of equipment in front of her and she is just banging keys and you, you know, she's, I mean, it's so quick, you know, it's incredible watching. I don't care who they are. I can't do her job, but when you come across someone in the wild who's really good at their job and they're just yeah. good at it, it's fun, man. Yeah, that can be a bank sure. teller. That can be an ultrasound tech that can be, there's a lady at my doctor's office, my regular doctor's office who can like schedule appointments with one hand while she's holding a piece of paper with the other. I always tell her it's amazing watching
1: you work. I love seeing that. So in this case, you were flirting with the uh, the ultrasound tech.
2: No, 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 it wasn't the ultrasound tech. She was great though. Um, it was the girl that actually had to tell me about the monitor. So I was, I he told me I was getting two days on a Holter monitor. Right, they're going to check my heart rate and just see how it goes during the day. Show up today, and the girl who like gives me the monitor goes, "Yeah, we're going to do this for fourteen days." I'm like, oh, you know, all I hear is fourteen days. I'm like, what? I got to wear a monitor for fourteen days? And I just kind of got, I don't know, she was my kind of girl. We started kind of getting a little flirty. And at the end of the conversation, I said, I would party with you, young lady. And I don't know. She kind of was like, I don't think that's a good idea.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, There's nothing about that story that ends well. Yeah, I'm
2: about 30 minutes away from making a bad decision any time. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I'm going to wear this monitor for 14 days now. And uh, it's got two nodes on it, and I just got to sleep with it and everything. Man, this is going to take some effort, dude. I mean, I don't really want to sleep with a monitor on me.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to either.
2: She kind of was like, "I was like, look, I really don't want to do this." And she goes, "Look, here's the deal: if you take this thing off, you know, it's not going to alert me or anything. So just make your best decision. That's <laughs> it. "Okay, cool." They're not going to put you in prison or something. No, and she it. was kind of oh, like, yeah. you know, if, you know, if we get if we get some data, we're good. So yeah, I don't know how long I'm. I feel committed to this, but <laughs> I'm going to leave it on for now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also, uh, after years of using Fitbits, I love Fitbits. Uh, I'm, I'm one of these dipshits that like thinks 10,000 steps really means something. That's just some arbitrary number that somebody came up with somewhere. But, dude, I, I had my one fail again. I've paid for four Fitbits in the last five or six years. They have actually sent me like 10 because it always fails. And I always ask them for a new one. And they always give me one. And then it fails. And then I ask for another one. I just got tired of this cycle, dude. So I started what do
1: you what did you use?
2: So I'm using this uh Apple watch that my daughter just stopped using like two or three years ago. Yeah. And it's pink. <laughs> it's pink with a pink band and it's a girl watch. It's like small, you know, like the like girls are supposed to wear. But I'm just like, screw it, it's free. And uh I like it, man. It gives me a little too much information now, but I'm
1: hoping Neil McCrady, this thing won't fail on me.
2: Do you use like a watch, like tracker?
1: I, I, I don't, but I've been uh, so I've been uh I can't tell you how many times I've looked at a whoop or a, a wara oh is the, that a, is that a, a ring uh-huh. yeah um i've kind of like gotten really close to doing the Wara a few times and now my my daughters are like yeah nobody uses an apple watch anymore you can have mine um apparently apple watches have gone out of style with the kids
2: <laughs> we're not kids though
1: i know and so my, well, i don't really care about the style part but there's a part of me that that wants all that information and there's a part of me that doesn't want all that information because I know how kind of obsessive I am about it. Like the whole step thing you referenced. I've gotten where I'm so bad about, I want my steps, damn it, that I just ran, I ran eight miles today and I wanted to get credit for them. <laughs> even though I'm, it, It's so stupid, think about how stupid what I'm about to say is, and I'm making fun of myself. I know I ran the eight miles. I'm dripping wet. It's right there on the screen. It's keeping up with my analytics. I know how many calories I burned. The whole deal, right? From a, hey, I want to keep my weight down. I want to get down to the certain weight, whatever. Running the miles, actually running them counts. But in my mind, if, I, if my phone doesn't tell me, that, oh, yes, Neil, you got 15,000 steps today, it didn't really count. It's oh, so sad. stupid. So I've got I've to do something. But I, I don't, I'm a little worried about the WARA thing telling me, because I know I don't sleep enough, and I'm a little worried about it getting me obsessed about not sleeping enough. WARA? It's like O-U-R-A, the ring. Oh,
2: yeah, okay. Okay, I got you.
1: So they yeah. send one to you, you get it fitted, you send it back, and then they send you the real thing, and it connects to your phone and your computer, and it reads all of your analytics, and it tells you everything. and Like I don't, what I don't want with the Apple watch is I don't want my text popping up on my watch all the time. I want to be able to get away from that.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that doesn't really bother me very much. I like to know, like when my, my wife and I text each other, like, I don't know, 50 times a day or something like that. So I like to know when that's coming through. I don't have my phone physically on me all the time. So I like to have that. But unfortunately my Apple watch, I'm sorry, my daughter's Apple watch, it gives me all the tweets it gives me all the text, which is cool. It gives me Snapchat. There's other stuff on here I don't need. So, Yeah, getting, I wouldn't
1: want that. I'm getting buzzed up too much.
2: But, hey, man, it was the right price. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it was free. I get it.
2: I may look at this aura, but it looked a little expensive for a ring. Plus, it also looks like you have a second wife or something. Like, I just wear the one ring for my one wife.
1: Yeah, what? I would. I guess I'd put it on my right hand.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, then you look like a pirate. You look like uh, Johnny Depp. Oh, it's true. Yeah, you with the uh, <laughs> the hair sticking
1: out. and the, yeah. yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of like you as it pertains to that. Like, I really, if someone like, oh, what's his deal with the other ring? Like, I don't care what you think about, that. whatever. It doesn't oh, okay. Matter. I mean,
2: just tell them you're doubly stoked about Laura.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I could just say, you know. That's what I would say if I was married to Laura. She, she married me twice, you know. She's twice um, as hot as you realize, something like that. I would just say that.
2: Uh, let's work through the SEC schedule here very quickly for the weekend. It's kind of lackluster, honestly, because you got – this weekend plus and you got a big daddy weekend uh coming up uh florida is going to play at vanderbilt commodore walk is going to be
1: insane oh they got to win coming on a one game sec winning streak gonna be crazy this a streak in- that's right <laughs> Right, they won SEC games. They beat Kentucky. Yes, uh, it's a win. I it's a W. They won in Lexington, which surprised me a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely, a road SEC win. Clark Lee, SEC Coach of the Year. Uh,
2: Vanderbilt is a fourteen-point dog at home. Somehow, I you know it's a big home field advantage there uh, for the Commodores. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they would be. They're four and six. Vanderbilt is, and Florida's six and four. So yeah, Florida playing a little bit better. A little
1: bit better. Uh, yeah, I don't know.
2: You've got uh, UMass <laughs> one and nine UMass playing at Texas A&M, which I believe is on a six game losing streak for the first time since the seventies. I believe that's the story.
1: Oh, wow. Is that right? Oh
2: man, okay. it was bad. Somebody in that game last weekend, the a and the Auburn game, somebody going to be on a gnarly ass streak and it ended up being Texas A&M. I really hate it for Jimbo. Uh, that game is a, a Texas A&M is a 33 and a half point favorite. Uh, and it's not even televised. <laughs> it's on ESPN plus there'll be literally dozens of people on that stream uh 11 o'clock alabama playing host to austin p who i believe are the governors yep no uh, line on that one because they're fcs but uh, i would imagine Bama's going to have that one right
1: Uh, yeah hey listen uh bryce young's a stud he 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 beat he beat ole miss kind of by himself last week he's a hell of a player
2: well he is a stud, but my Raiders are so bad, Neil, that they're climbing up the uh, the draft board <laughs> in, uh, unintentionally. And uh, I don't know if we would need to draft Bryce Young. He's kind of short, right?
1: He makes plays. Awesome. He does make he plays. Makes I makes agree. plays.
2: Maybe we're in an era where that doesn't matter as much. Uh, another 11 a.m. game that's not going to be televised. It's East Tennessee State at Mississippi State. Uh, no line on that one because East Tennessee State are in the F- FCS, so I'm going to take the dogs in that one uh kentucky playing host of the georgia bulldogs uh mm. georgia is going to be a 22 and a half point favorite golly these temperatures are low that's the 230 cbs kick it's going to be 38 degrees in lexington
1: it's gonna be warm compared to Fayetteville. we'll get to that in a minute
2: boy i guess it is almost winter isn't it Jeez. uh western kentucky uh the toppers are going to be playing at auburn three o'clock on the sec network uh, auburn is a five and a half point favorite here but Man, like you mentioned in the pre-show, Neil, Western Kentucky can score points, man.
1: I've bet on Western Kentucky like three times this year in my competition with Siski, and they, they, they win and cover. They're good. I mean, it's, this is – Auburn will – Auburn will have its hands full with uh, Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky would win a few SEC games if they played the right schedule. Like, if they got to play South Carolina and Vandy and some teams like that, they'd win, they'd win some games.
2: That is – Western Kentucky is coached by a Helton who is the son of Kim, brother of Clay yes yeah i looked this up the other day and kim helton some of you younger viewers don't know this listeners excuse me was the love coach he used to have a segment when he was the head coach at houston he'd have a segment on his show where he would dispense advice relationship advice to callers i'm serious it's true you can look it up uh the coaches usually don't do that these days huh phil martelli used to do some stuff like that and kim helton and those days are over right can you imagine brian harson doing that no or lane kiffin <laughs> <laughs> shit no, uh six no. o'clock uh so, let's see Tennessee going to south Carolina that game's gonna be again six o'clock kick on e s p n south carolina a twenty one and a half point dog
1: mm. they look bad uh last week carolina at, and Tennessee yeah. is ranked fifth at this
2: point can they climb into this national championship fuss
1: uh yeah, I think so um i think uh they need t c u to lose and then I just think that's it. They that and, and they're going to maybe score style points and look great. But their one loss was at Georgia. If Georgia ends up winning, yeah, I think Tennessee could. It, as long as TCU loses, the interesting thing will be: do they go with one loss Tennessee, or do it, and what would happen if say USC ran the table and won the Pac twelve would Would one loss Pac twelve champ USC move ahead of Tennessee? I don't oh. know.
2: Tough call there. Uh, you think Tennessee's got a pretty good shot to win this one, though. Yeah, come on. Uh, another game, let's see, a 630 late game. SEC Network, one that Neil McCready will be watching. Uh, the Ole Miss Rebels playing at Arkansas. Again, for the 630 kick, that's going to be an estimated temperature of 33. You were telling me at the end of the game, we're looking at teens.
1: Yeah, it's supposed to drop to 19. And that's without the wind chill. The wind is like 11 or something like that.
2: I know, and shit gets windy up there, man, That because you're, like, on a hill. Yeah, you're up fans. in the mountains, and,
1: and it's that mm-hmm. thin air, and it gets cold.
2: Such a kick-ass stadium, though, man. I mean, it was kind of shitty when you and I were younger, but it ain't anymore. And I, I like the position that it's in relative to campus there. Yeah. It's pretty cool. You park at the bottom of the hill, and you walk up the hill. It's well, pretty but, cool, uh, man.
1: I, know, I, I like Reynolds Razorback. I've had people tell yeah. me it's ugly. And I'm like, well, it used to be ugly, but they've kind of fixed it up and made it kind of cool.
2: Yeah, it did. Used to be. Like, used to kick field goals uh, from the press box perspective, from right to left. They would go on top of the building. Yeah, and that was goofy, man. Yeah, like in the seventies, that's fine, I guess. But well, th- that's all gone now. They've 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 come way. They've come a long way. Just like, what Hemingway used to be kind of like, Meh.
1: yeah, it used to be a dump. They've kind of fixed it up. It's still, it, it just, it's like so many of these stadiums around the league that are so old. They they've just pieced them together in places, and it's just,
2: yeah. Auburn's is the worst as far as that goes. Do you remember when Tyler Watts was playing at Alabama and then Ole Miss had to spend that whole season with like that far end zone was just like a, a shithole. Like they had literally like demolished yeah,
1: it. Demolished everything, yeah.
2: And it was just like they were in progress. It was, it was bad. It was probably 20 years ago now, right?
1: Yeah. yeah it was, uh, it was back when like I was on the Auburn beat. Like 2001, maybe? Yeah, somewhere in there. Uh-huh.
2: Uh, also, the uh, fighting Gabe, the Armons are playing host to uh, New Mexico State. It's going to be a 6.30 uh, kickoff on ESPNU. Kickoff time is 28 degrees. Have fun, Gabe. <laughs> Hope they have the windows open for you, Big Daddy. Uh, and then the uh, late game is going to be LSU playing host to the UAB Blazers, 8 o'clock on ESPN2, 51 degrees in Baton Rouge for that kickoff. And LSU is a 14.5 point favorite. Yeah, f-
1: 51 in Baton Rouge is cold, though, because you get that it wind has- off the river, man. It can, get, it can get a little rough. Yeah, it can. I've frozen, I've frozen weekend. in that stadium more than one time. So.
2: Well, I feel like the hottest I've ever been in a stadium was at LSU too. Good yeah. God! And the thing is, man, that, that field, they keep it so wet, you know, like in the summer or the early part of the season. And it's just like, it's like being in a sauna Yeah, down there. And you have to kneel at LSU when you're shooting on the sideline. And so you're just like, you're just stuck, man. I, I seriously, I lost six pounds. Of course I gained it back from eating pizza, but whatever. <laughs> Well, that's the weekend in the SEC yeah. and we I think we've discussed it all, Neil McCrady. I mean we we got into spent a lot of time on Lane Kiffen. And uh, yeah, people care. People care.
1: They do. We'll uh, I don't know what our schedule is for next week. Next week is Thanksgiving week, so we'll we we have not even discussed it. And who knows what's gonna happen from a story standpoint and all that over the course of first part of next week. Ole Miss plays we'll figure out a way. Ole Miss plays on Thanksgiving night against uh, Mississippi State at home. So
2: we'll figure and it out. Also, yeah. world cup starts sunday usa plays monday monday, monday. it's it wales sunday. yeah dr tate was like wales has a team I was like oh yeah of course they do
1: yeah i'm excited I
2: mean, gareth bale and all those
1: guys next friday uh the day after thanksgiving <sighs> i think it's at noon maybe one o'clock one or the other uh um the u.s plays england in a World Cup game, I'm I can't wait. I'm gonna be jacked up for that game.
2: Yeah, I got my yeah my homies coming in uh, from Washington D.C. with his whole family to stay with us for Thanksgiving, and they were working. They were stationed in England when their oldest son was born, so he has dual citizenship, England and U.S.A. So it's a big game for him.
1: Oh yeah, but that's awesome.
2: My man Ian Vincent, right there. Hell yeah.
1: Yeah, England. England has a chance to win the whole thing. They're uh, they're like eight to one odds or something like that. They're like plus it's plus eight hundred, I think. In Vegas, uh, the U.S. by the way, to win the World Cup is plus ten thousand.
2: I so, guess it's bad. I don't know. Yeah, I, need a, I need a regular
1: line. It's not a, <laughs> not a, not, a, not a, It'd be, be, it'd be, it'd be uh, U.S. minus like fifty seven. Oh yeah. That'd be tough. All right, we'll uh, we'll wrap it there. Thanks for everybody for making us a uh, a part of of your week, part of uh, what you do. We appreciate it, even those of you who on either side of what we do dislike us right now. It's okay. This will this will end eventually, and when it does, we'll all get back to some degree of normalcy, and uh, I'll be good. So uh, for those of you who um, are traveling this week, whether you're headed to Auburn or Fayetteville or wherever the case may be, please drive safe, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again, hopefully next week with episode 197 of Greatest Pod in the South. Until then, for J.G. Tate, I'm Neil McCready. Take care.